This is Tell Me What To Read, the podcast I'm Nick Wasiliev and we are back for another book discussion podcast this week and joining me to, for today's book discussion podcast, I am joined first by Stefania. Hello, Stefania. Hello. Uh, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi. And Amy. Hello, Amy. Hi. Let's, uh, let's kick straight into the books that we are reading and enjoying. And Amy, I am going to throw to you first. What have you been enjoying? Um, so I've been in a bit of a reading slump. Um, so I haven't read much, admittedly. But the one book I've read this year that I'm still thinking and talking about is um, No Hard Feelings by Jennifer Novak. So the cover of this book um, says, hungover, underpaid, and overwhelmed. And I read that and I was like, might be the book for me (laughs) um so it's one of the many kind of books about like that millennial confusion era that are out at the moment so there's a ton of them um but in my opinion this one does it best um so the book is about penny um she's in her mid-20s and like most of us when you finish high school and uni and you kind of get to that after period of life you only really have a couple close friends And this book really centers on the idea that she's comparing herself to these friends. You know, one of them is getting promoted in a job that she loves while Penny works for a woman she hates um, in a company that is just destroying her life really. And the other is getting married and Penny's stuck in the loop of terrible first dates and dating apps and just going back to her horrible ex-boyfriend over and over again. So kind of centers on that. And what I took away from it is that it's really a book about that time in your life where you just get fed up with your own crap and your own excuses and you vow to change things up. And, you know, the book says when bad habits feel so good, how do you trust what's good for you? And it kind of does that hilarious thing where you wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to change my life and you go for a passive-aggressive run every morning and you start making smoothies and you start being nice to people you hate and wearing heels to work and you think that that stuff is going to fix all your problems. Um, And I think that's where this book differs from a lot of the other books about millennial confusion. It really shows that those Band-Aid solutions are nothing and you can't fake it until you make it, like a lot of people think. So... It's a really, really lovely advocate for kind of getting to the root of your problems rather than just brushing them aside and trying to feel better with all these things that you're told are going to make you feel better. Um, So it's a lovely book. I laughed. I cried. Um, There's a lot of times where you kind of read something silly she does and you go, oh, I've done that before. And then you read something really concerning that she's done and you go, oh, I've done that before. So... I haven't been called out quite like this in a book in a very long time. Uh, so I would definitely recommend this um, book. It comes out in April. Slight, slight trigger warning for, for everyone who's like, oh God, cringe that I've done something terrible. Or slight <laughs> trigger warning if you're in your mid-20s, um, <laughs> you will be called out on the spot. <laughs> this sounds like an amazing book. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna mince words uh, because right. often you feel like. I mean, particularly in your in your twenties when you're still working yourself out, and it's the time to make mistakes and be, you know, silly. And and you think, and you and you often are finding yourself. I like that your description of like how you, this, she compares herself to all of her friends, 
which is something that I often just like the fact I know it's not healthy for me to do occasionally you're just yeah. like oh but they're super, doing so well super relatable <laughs> I am super looking forward to this as well because when you're not in your 20s on this side of it you were in them at one point and reading about that time can really like make you a bit sort of introspective about where you were and where you've been and I've been hearing such amazing things about this book um not just from you Amy but from other people at work who've read it it sounds Sounds really cool. Like, and it's a debut, right? Yes, yeah, Australian debut. The other book I wanted to very, very quickly talk about because I know so many people here have spoken about it is Love Stories by Trent Dalton. And the only reason I re mention it is because I've been listening to the audiobook um, this past week and I'm almost finished it. And if you've never heard Trent Dalton's voice before, it's beautiful. Um, he's like amazing words and you know the way he story tells is great when you read it um, but there's something really special about him reading it to you um, so I've really enjoyed uh, Trent Dalton like reading to me as I do Excel spreadsheets every day <laughs> and um, kind of continuing on the whole like you know angsty single 20 year old thing um, I think I didn't pick up this book immediately because you know, love stories, Ugh, like I don't want to read about all these people who have found beautiful love and, um, but it's not just that. There's some really, really cool stories in there about friendship love and parental love. And there's this one that I immediately wrote down and sent to my best friend where, you know, he's sitting on his street corner for people who aren't familiar, um, you know, getting told stories about love and he witnesses these two women hug. And he's like, oh, wow, like that was the most like loving and passionate hug. There must be a story here. Like this must be, a, you know, they must be getting reunited for the first time in ever. And he asks them and they're like, oh, no, this is my best friend. I saw her two days ago. Like <laughs> I just ran into each other. That was my favourite story too. Can I just say when I read that book, it really yeah. struck a chord. It was beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And the whole thing and about I didn't go for three seconds. Is that the time or eight seconds? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, three yeah. seconds. Yeah. yeah, so that hooked me. That was one of the first stories and I was like, oh, this, I think this book is more than I, I thought it was and I've really been enjoying it. So I would recommend. Aww, I, ha I still haven't read Love Stories. I think I'm saving it how you know how some books where you just feel like you know that it's going to make you feel really good. Um, yeah, it's so feel good. Yeah. I might have to listen to it. I think it would be beautiful to hear him read the stories out. Yeah, I will say, Sarah, um, you know, I know Trent is, we, we love it whenever Trent comes into the office, whenever he has a new book out. He's, he's such a, a bundle of energy. He's so much fun. He's filled with love. Um, we actually had him on our, on our Instagram very recently for uh, doing a, an Instagram takeover for Valentine's Day, reading his favourite quotes uh, from, about love from books that he, he loves and enjoys. Uh, what you see is what you get. He is a sweetie pie in just in general and uh i think this book from my own experiences of reading it because i'm enjoying uh all our shimmering skies right now um i feel like this is the most trent book to ever trent uh, <laughs> is the best way to describe it it's just trent to a t trent to a nutshell um and uh, I, I and I think you will absolutely love it, Sarah. You shouldn't. You sh I know that you've been, you're sending you're saving yourself for it, but just 
get in. Well, I, I love Boys Fellows Universe. Yeah. I love all that shimmering skies. I know I love this book, but I'm the only person on the podcast who hasn't read it. So I feel like maybe this is the universe telling me it's time for love stories. Time is here. <laughs> it, because it's not a novel, you can dip in and out. Yes. So it's, they're just little snippets. Some of them, some of the stories he carries through throughout the book in different chapters, but um, most of them are just singular, singular stories. Yeah, it's lovely. It really is. It's a beautiful book. And uh, to all of our listeners, uh, if you haven't read it, just do it. Just go do it. It's a beautiful book and uh, we, we highly, highly recommend it. Um, amazing recommendations, Amy. Wow. Kicking us off with a bang. Um, absolutely love them. Um, I am now going to throw over to Sarah. Um, Sarah, I know that you've been reading a couple of books. Um, what have you been I enjoying? have, but I will just say, Amy, I'm reading both of your recommendations. <laughs> they're going to be my next. Um, so I actually, same, same as Amy, was in a terrible slump at the beginning of this year. I just wasn't reading. Um, so I'm just going to briefly do a brief brief shout out to the books that got me out of um the slump but they won't be the books i'm primarily talking about this is how i cheat and i mention more books and i told you that i was going to talk about you do this every time. So, like, <laughs> so the book that got me out of the slump was um beyond the end of the world by amy kaufman and megan Spooner. And it was great and I loved it. And if it weren't for that book, I might still be in my slump. So I just wanted to shout out to that beautiful book. And I also um, followed through with reading like four Tessa Bailey books. <laughs> so I just really wanted to shout out to Tessa Bailey. I started with um, It Happened One Summer, which was just exact. it was just so much of a beautiful rom-com. Um, Anyone who has ever watched uh, Schitt's Creek, it's kind of like the heroine is loosely based on Alexis Rose from Schitt's Creek. And if that sounds appealing to you and if you want to see her move to a small town and fall in love with a burly um, fisherman, then definitely, definitely go and do that. It's a fish out of water, opposites attract really funny, but also, you know, really quite tender and emotional rom-com. Two thumbs up. I didn't intend to talk about that much. These are the books I came prepared to talk about. Ready? I'm really beginning now. One of the first things I read was, it's called Anatomy, A Love Story by Dana Schwartz. This book was picked as the Reese's YA Book Club pick of this month. But funnily enough, even though I will always pay attention to the picks that Reese Witherspoon does. That's not the reason I was excited to read this. The reason I was excited to read this is that it's written by Dana Schwartz, who is the host of a podcast that I absolutely love and listen to faithfully, which is called Noble Blood. So that podcast basically just goes back and follows aristocrats, like sometimes kings and queens, but sometimes just like noblemen or women in the past and tells their stories. And I love a history podcast, but this one is like particularly good because it's kind of just like scandals of the past and I'm obsessed with it. So when I heard that she was writing a book, I was so, it could have been about anything. And I was like, yep, I'll read it. If Dana Schwartz wrote it, I will read it. But this book is amazing. So it's a Gothic kind of, 
it's a it's a gothic story it sort of borrows a lot in atmosphere and subject from frankenstein the main characters are they're, they're very come from very different walks of life hazel comes from she's a nobleman's daughter she's raised in a castle um expected to marry her cousin which is a bit weird but whatever it's the times <laughs> and um and she doesn't want to do anything except become a doctor she's just really interested in anatomy she like is constantly taking like she finds a dead frog in the garden and that's amazing because it means she can go and like dissect it she's that interested in um anatomy and becoming a doctor she's read all the textbooks she's like done all the studying she's basically given herself a medical degree but she can't actually she can't actually become a doctor because she's a woman but she's always trying to sneak into like lectures and things and so her whole thing is she wants to be a doctor the other main character of this is uh jack and he is a resurrection man which is a fancy way of saying that he is a body snatcher and there's a and this is where i learned that there's a big difference between grave robbing and body snatching because at the time and this is set in 1817 um in edinburgh and there's at the time there were these laws that said that if you take a body out of a grave that's body snatching and it's a lesser crime than grave robbing which is when you steal their clothes and their jewelry and things like that so so technically if you if you take a body out and like undress it and leave all of its clothes and jewelry in the grave you are committing a lesser crime than if you just take all, the whole kit and caboodle so um jack is not a grave robber he only takes the body feels the bodies to be sold to people who are learning about to doctors and people who are learning about dissection and i don't want to know who else because like if you're if you're in the business of buying a body and you are not using it for science i really don't want to know why you want to know it but neither does jack jack is just in the business of taking the bodies and selling them and these two meet and then what what transpires is just this really deliciously gothic um star-crossed romance slash um there's this tinge of science fiction towards the end, like actually right up until the last sort of bit of it, I wouldn't have said that there was going to be any Frankensteinian stuff going on. But there's just a there's just a hint of it um, towards the end. It is really great. I flew through it, and I can see why it was picked for the Reese's Book Club. And if you like Frankenstein, and if you like tales of two people from completely opposite worlds who are drawn to each other out you know and if you like science um i think it would be a good good one to pick up so yes i, I really liked that book that sounds amazing i'm going to read that <laughs> and i am just so glad that we live in a time when they don't snatch your body out of graves you can actually donate your body to science these days yes yeah <laughs> thank god <laughs> They, it really was tough going if you were if if you were trying to teach anatomy back then you had to rely on resurrection men aka body snatchers <laughs> um and the, and just to be superficial for a second the cover of anatomy and love story is pretty cool as well it's like an aerial shot from a, from a distance it looks like a heart like um a, a picture of a heart but it's actually a um above taken shot of a girl in a red ball gown that's just trailing out behind her in the shape of a heart. It's really, it's very cool. Um, 
I suggest if you're listening to the podcast, you just give it a quick Google to look at it. Even if you're not interested in reading it, it's a cool cover. Um, okay, so I've spoken about that book and then I spoke a little bit longer than I expected to speak about the Tessa Bailey book. So I'll briefly talk about the other book I really want to talk about, which is an old one. And it's one that I've read a few times and I'm really hoping that I haven't spoken about this on the podcast before. I have a habit of when I read an old favourite, like I think I've spoken about Jane Eyre on this podcast 13 times or something. So I'm like, I don't think I've spoken about this one, but if I have, like just I, I doubt anyone. It would be a while ago. So like here we go again. I'm going to talk perhaps for the second or third time about The Daughter of Time by Josephine Tay, which um, this past week, you know, it's like, it's been a bit busy at work and I'm a little bit stressful, haven't had the best sleep, and I felt the need to rejuvenate my brain by reading something that I know I will love and reading an old favourite. And so I picked up The Daughter of Time. Have any of you read it in this podcast? I certainly have. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we 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 have discussed this on the podcast before, but it wasn't you who read it. It was me. I've read this book. Oh, really? I absolutely loved it. Oh. It's, uh, I it was it similar in a similar experience to you. Um, I we it was one of the times last year where we were finally coming back to the office, and this book and this book had been dropped on my on my desk, and I had no context of Josephine Tay. I knew next to nothing about her, so I I was like, oh, I may as well check this out and. I will let you describe it now because I do not want to steal your thunder. <laughs> but uh, if you loved it, we are completely on the same page. <laughs> Look, there's there's a reason I really love this book. Um, it's kind of like the ultimate cold case. It's there's this moment in the book. So it's written from the main character is an Alan Grant, who's features in a couple of other Josephine Tay books. She's like. He's like her recurring, Inspector Alan Grant is her recurring crime solver that she wrote a series about. But this one is really kind of different from the others. And there's this moment, like the, the whole premise is that um, Inspector Alan Grant has been injured and he's in hospital. He's basically bedridden. And um, he, he is bored and irritable and... Um, he sort of talks about how he's got nothing to do except read this stack of books by his bed and there's this great moment and every time I reread this book I'm like I just like this moment where he's just like oh they're so formulaic like every crime book is the same and then you can just imagine Josephine Tay writing those words going I'm going to try and make this one really different because and I mean we've sort of seen this now we've seen this more like um, I, she, but I feel like she was definitely one of the earliest persons to really write a crime novel where there's no, there's not much action. It's all research and it's all like, it's cold casing and and figuring stuff out and finding like, it's it's a research novel. It's a novel about research basically. Um, and the whole premise of it is that um, he investigates Richard III which anyone who has like a passing knowledge like I think the first time I read this all I knew about Richard III was that he was the one that everyone said killed the princes in the tower and um, I also knew that he was the last 
Oh God, I hope this is right. The last Plantagenet king, and that when he was yeah. killed, yeah. it be it was by Henry Tudor the seventh, and Henry the seventh, the first Tudor king, and so then that started the Tudor dynasty, and so that's kind of all I knew, and I really did think that he murdered the princes in the tower, but this whole book questions that theory, and um, he's also known to have been a hunchback, and he's just been a villainous figure in history, like. Um, had a really, really bad PR. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's also been influenced by, I think we talked about Richard III, uh, like the Shakespeare play as well, like how that seeped into popular culture and stuff as well. I think. Yeah. Like, it his definitely. Trail has been just unanimously bad from. Because he killed his own nephew. Yeah. Supposedly. <laughs> and there's also all these horrible rumors that he fell in love with one of his nieces as well. And like, there's just like horrible, there's just terrible rumours about him and they've persisted for so long. Um, and like, I actually don't know the year that this book was written. I mean, Daughter of Time. I'm just having... Uh, 1951. 1951, yeah. Yeah. So I guess at some point, certainly um, or before 1951, people have been beginning to question this view that history has taken on Richard III, particularly because most of the source material is not a first-hand primary source material. It's all written after his death and mostly by people who would be very loyal to the Tudors. So it's kind of like looking back on it, every everything that led to this um, villainous portrayal of Henry III kind of could be attributed to a smear campaign by the Tudors. And this, he does all of this basically bedridden. He just like, and the reason that the book is so fascinating is because you're just in his thought processes and you're in the thought process of a really smart, deductive mind. And um, you like on the face of it, when I tell you that this is a book about a guy in hospital reading a bunch of historical sources, <laughs> it sounds boring on um, Richard III. It, it sounds boring, but it's not. And it's, um, and it's a quick read as well. It's like, it's not very long, um, but it's gone down in history as one of the greatest crime novels. And when you read it, I think you sort of understand why, because it really takes the essence of solving a crime, like gathering all the evidence and weighing the evidence and um, reaching these informed conclusions. And it shows it to you in a, in a sort of really interesting way. Plus, I really just like a cold case. And this is just the ultimate cold case. He's in 1951 and he's trying to solve a case that happened in like the mid 1480s. <laughs> so like... <laughs> And that is Daughter of Time, one of my all-time faves. And reading it this week has given me a lot of joy. I feel like I feel like uh, Josephine Tay, like in the context of of crime and thriller, um, like she, I mean, she is revered, but I don't think she has spoken enough about when compared with the likes of, say, Agatha Christie, or well, she wasn't Doyle. as prolific, I don't think. Plus, Correct. I think she's. I could be wrong. Or Raymond I, Chandler. I shouldn't, even, I shouldn't even say this, but I know that Josephine Tay is not her actual name, and I don't know if she's actually wrote under other names as well. She she but, was a, she it was a pseudonym for her. The author's real name was Elizabeth Macintosh. Uh, did she write under other names? Um, she she did. She also wrote under the name. Uh, she as like she did plays as well, and she was writ- and she wrote under the pseudonym Gordon Daviot, sure. as well. 
she did like to stay out of the limelight, I think, um, and yeah. use, those stu- uh, use a lot of pseudonyms. I mean, very few writers of that classic golden age of crime are as famous as Agatha Christie. She's sort of endured the strongest. But Josephine Tay and, like, Dorothy L. Sayers, yes. a lot of people would argue wrote, I don't want to say better. Well, they, 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 explored, <laughs> like, they explored themes. They explored themes that were a lot more uh, that kind of uh, paved the, the way for, for crime writing to come. Well, and I just think that they were a little bit more, I really like Agatha Christie and I will, when I get on an Agatha Christie bent, I will easily read like 12 of them in a row. And they they go down really easy and I love them. Mm. But, and she is psychological. Agatha Christie wrote psychological crime. She was never caught up in like forensic evidence that much. She always was, had, gave her, created a crime that was based on psychology and that to me is always more interesting um, than hunting for fingerprints and like comparing yeah. cloth samples and things like that. So like, I I love I love her and I'm not dissing her, but I don't think she wrote as nuanced and complex and rich a books as um, well certainly as Dorothy L. Sayers and definitely as um, she never wrote anything like Daughter of Time. The Daughter of Time is unusual. And if you look at any list of the greatest crime novels ever, it's pretty much always there. Whereas yeah. Agatha Christie will be there too, but it could be a different one every time. I think she most often gets nominated for the murder of Roger Ackroyd because that was the big twist ending. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I'll, I'll leave it at this point because I'm aware we have to move on. But uh, I, yeah, sorry. I was, I've been looking <laughs> at the, look, there was a, a ranking in 1990 from the Crime Writers Association about the top 100 crime novels of all time. And The Daughter of Time beats, you know, all the books by Raymond Chandler, beats The Murder, the murder of Roger Ackroyd, beats Sherlock Holmes and comes in at number one. I knew it. Yeah. And like, it's usually so, that. So if you if you haven't had the chance to check out The Daughter of Time, just do it because it is it is a gem. It is an absolute gem, and you'll I think you'll absolutely love it. Amazing, Sarah! Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to read that because I am fascinated by that era, like that period of time. And I was going to say earlier, the um, Henry the Third became, um, it came back into the spotlight just recently because they found, apparently found his body in um, a car park in, mm. oh, yeah. outside of London, remember yeah. that? And so there was, yeah, there was a few books, like non-fiction books that came out about it as well and people investigating Henry III. He's like one of the only, I think the only king that um, they found in a car park and not yeah. in... Because they... <laughs> They murdered him on, and I, I hope yeah. I, this will be so embarrassing if I'm wrong, but the Battle of Bosworth. Yeah, I don't know all those historical things. He got, like, just there. shoved in a, it was a, it was like a bad murder. Like, it was yes. like, yeah. they Shut shoved him in some nameless grave. And, yeah. yeah. Wow. <clears throat> I love that. I love that you say that you went through a through a massive reading slump, and then you casually drop that yeah. you've read three books <laughs> plus four Tessa Bailey's. This is like this is the bad time I'm having right now. <laughs> it was bad though. At the beginning of the year, I just could not. I attribute those books that I mentioned woke up my reading brain, and then um, it has been sustained by the ones I mentioned. I'm. I've currently started. Gallant, so that will be my next week. And I will now stop talking. I want to hear what Stefania has read. 
Yes, we shall move on. But before we move on to Stefania, we have a sponsored book. Yes, we have a sponsored book, which, uh, which we'll now quickly talk about before we hear about the books that Stefania is reading and enjoying. Jane Hutchin is a journalist, author, and former China correspondent who's reported on some of the most volatile, exotic, and fascinating places on earth. From 2010 to 2019, she was the creator and host of ABC TV's One Plus One, conducting in-depth conversations with more than five hundred celebrities and she is also the author of rebel talk our sponsored book of the week rebel talk gives an excellent uh, an opportunity to learn new skills both in business and in life developing fascinating insights into how we can improve conversation and cultivate powers of persuasion while getting along better i know i could definitely use that which is no small feat Especially as we emerge from COVID and we have to relearn social skills, this book serves as a timely and practical guide and not to mention is extremely entertaining. And to top it off, keeping with the theme of Agatha Christie, it has got a foreword by Sir David Suchet, Pryro himself. Order now and get uh, free shipping of this special title, Rebel Talk, which is our sponsored book of the week. Links will be in the description. All right, Stefania. Um, our final guest for this week. Please tell me what you've been enjoying. Um, I think it's really interesting that Amy started us off with a book about millennials. And she mentioned that there's a lot of books at the moment about that generation. Whereas I'm a little bit older than that. And what I've been noticing at our um, presentations by our publishers, that there's been a lot of books about um, women, particularly, post 40. <laughs> so that kind of hits a mark for me. And that's one of the books that I'm going to talk about today. So um, this book has one of the best titles I've heard in a long time. And it also has one of the most beautiful covers I've seen in a while. It really stands out. So it's called this is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Um, the cover is orange. It's got all these beautiful flowers on it. It's just, I think it's going to look amazing on bookshelves and in bookstores. So keep an eye out for it. Um, it's by Tabitha Carbon. And it's really hard to explain what this book is about because it is about Benedict Cumberbatch, but it also isn't about Benedict Cumberbatch. So I think it's going to be one of those books that's going to get um, its sales from hand selling and from word of mouth, because it's one of those really unusual books. So Tabitha, during her 20s and into her 30s, was travelling around the world. She was working, studying, and um, as a lot of people were doing around that time, was keeping blogs. So she was blogging about her, her trips. And then she met her husband. They came, came back to Australia and um, they based themselves in Canberra. So she finds herself in Canberra. She's a stay-at-home mum. And then she starts working at a university as a science writer. And it's around this time that she develops this really embarrassing obsession with Benedict Cumberbatch. So she describes it as falling in love with him. She is obsessed. All she does is think about him. She watches his movies over and over again. She can't stop watching Sherlock Holmes. 
every single minute of the day she's on the internet looking at pictures of him um and then this there's this funny moment where she goes to her local library with the kids she drops them off so they can do their reading hour while they're distracted she goes through the library looking for books about benedict cumberbatch um, and she finds this book this coffee table book she starts looking through it and there's this note inside a post-it note handwritten and it says um, come and discuss Sherlock with us and a website. So she's really intrigued. What is this? So she goes to the website and it's an online forum, one of those old fashioned online forums um, with all these fans. And fans, um, Benedict Cumberbatch um, fans are called Cumberbitches. So she goes into this rabbit hole of fandom, right? She actually ends up meeting the woman that lives locally that left the note in the book and they develop this friendship but oddly they don't tell their husbands about their friendship their friendship never crosses into other parts of their lives it's kind of like this secret um affair that they're having they don't want anybody to know about this this relationship which is really interesting so the book is hilarious it's laugh out loud funny um, it's really insightful it's really engaging um, she's very self-deprecating and but she's really articulate as well in describing um, what women go through so i loved it i just wanted to also touch on the fact that she goes on about or she talks about fan fiction so Fan fiction, for people who don't know about it, it's um, first time I'd ever heard about fan fiction was when I was I used to watch Buffy many, many years ago. And there was this whole online subculture of people who were pairing up the two vampires, Angel and Spike. <laughs> so it was like this homoerotic. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's the first time I'd ever heard of it. And then <laughs> there was the, and then for people who know, um, was that Fifty Shades of Grey actually started life as fan fiction as well. So she talks about fan fiction and she talks about fan fiction um, about Sherlock Holmes. So the Sherlock Holmes fan fiction is um, Watson and Sherlock getting together. So she meets all these really fascinating people that write about it um, and read it. And as I said, it's typically it's homoerotic, but the people who write it tend to be straight women and the people who read it tend to be straight women, which is, I find incredibly fascinating. And the people that write it are all really unusual. So there's lots of academics and like really like middle-aged mums, super intelligent um, business women, like all these really people that you would never expect to do this. And again, it's all secret. No one talks about it. They don't, they don't talk about why they, um, they don't tell their families, they don't tell their friends or their colleagues. So that was the running theme through the book. So ultimately, it isn't about Benedict Cumberbatch, even though she talks about Benedict Cumberbatch endlessly in the book. But it's a book about women, and it's a book about women embracing pleasure embracing passion and obsession and not being embarrassed about the things that make them happy.
Um, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, so there's this insightful bit where she, and you're reading it going, yeah, why do women do that? And then she mentions, you know, men aren't embarrassed about their obsessions. Men don't find it embarrassing that they're obsessed with golf or they're obsessed with cricket or fishing. So why do women do that? Uh, so that was, that's a really interesting point of the, the book, uh, which also reminded me of, um, I don't know if people here have read Gone Girl, but there was a moment in Gone Girl where she does this monologue, um, which I Googled it. There's a whole lot of um, people who talk about it, the cool girl moment in Gone Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Familiar. This is very much like that. Like, why do women feel this need to hide the things that they're fans of or passionate about in order to, for men to take them seriously? So... It's such a good question. Especially when it's women who usually, like, discover the cool things first. I mean, like, women were fangirls of the Beatles and were the ones that went crazy for them. And then, but it's cool for men to like the Beatles. And, but if it's a woman, it's like, oh, just a silly little fangirl, like crazy fan. Yeah, yeah and she talks really a lot fan. about music in this, right? About yeah. that whole thing of when you're teenagers, how um, you're, you're obsessed about bands and then... You can't do that anymore unless you're doing it ironically. So then you have to move on to, you know, you can't like boy bands anymore. You have to start liking um, more socially acceptable bands. So it's it's all of that. I absolutely loved it because I'm at that age where I'm going, oh, yes, that's exactly what women do. Um, yeah. It's like an incredibly timely book because it, it's such a shame to hear that, that so many women feel like they can't express themselves. Um, particularly about things that they genuinely find interesting because this, it's, it's the same passion for that. that that's something that, that's amazing. That should be celebrated. Yeah, and so and I think, yeah, the, the fact that it's, it's so insightful and she's so articulate about it, but it's self-deprecating and it's funny. It's a really engaging, uh, yeah, I can't recommend it more. But it, it just also, when I was reading it, it tied back to another book that I finally got around to reading, which was the Mia Moriarty book, Apple's Never yeah, And I think that sort of touched on a similar theme, right? So in there's a lot of themes in that book, but the to me the ultimate theme was these women who had given up their things that gave them joy and things that made them happy because they felt like they needed to do that for their family. So, and I think both Tabitha and Liam, they're not saying that it's a bad thing. They're not saying that they regret having given up um, their hobbies or their, the things that they were passionate about in order to put their kids and their family first. But they're just reminding us that it's important to hold on to those things, to remember what it is that makes us happy, what it is that gives us passion, that makes us, um, that gives us joy and to not lose sight of who we were as teenagers. So when you move from being a teenager to an adolescent, to from an adolescent, sorry, to a teenager, to a woman, you hold on to what it is that, that makes you who you are rather than trying to fit into what society and what the patriarchy <laughs> expects of you. I think they're, um, yeah, it's a beautiful book. And then keeping it on the, the theme of women, 
I just wanted to touch on another book, which I haven't read, but it came in the mail a couple of days ago and I just absolutely love it. It's um, a book called Sheila's Badass Women of Australian History by Eliza Riley. So this is an absolutely beautiful book. It's full of um, these amazing illustrations and graphics, the typography. It's a hardcover cloth bound. Um, it's got spot gloss and embossing on it. So it's a beautiful package. But on top of being a beautiful package, it's also a book about um, women in history in Australia. So it reminds me a little bit of an Australian history version of that series, The Rebel Girls, that was out a few years ago. Oh, yeah. To that, right? And she's, so the, the author says she's focusing on sheroes instead of heroes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and it's a little bit like if, if people have read the David Hunt Girt Nation books as well. So it's very well researched. It's, um, it's a historical it's a history book but it's funny and it's accessible and it's totally gorgeous um, so I'm really excited that there's all these kind of books coming out at the moment which are trying to rebalance um, the stories of Australia so women and First Nations people I think for a long time um, history of Australia has been focused on white men with big handlebar moustaches um, <laughs> but I think it's it's great that there's so much coming out at the moment that's um, that's addressing that. So that's my other recommendation. Funny, those are such good recs. I'm like super excited now to read. Um, this is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm like fascinated about like I feel like there's a real like surge at the moment of women saying, wait a minute, why, why, why is our stuff always discounted? And can I throw in another podcast recommendation at this point? Sure. The podcast Sentimental Garbage, which is by an author, Caroline O'Donoghue, who has a book called Promising Young Women, which I recommend. She has a whole podcast on this topic about how she just talks really intelligently about all of the movies and TV shows that the world considers to be silly women stuff, AKA sentimental garbage, and just celebrates it and talks about why it's important and why she loves it. Yeah. yeah. I'll, check, I'll chuck a link, a link to it in the description so folks can go check it out. But really, it just took me right back to being a teenager and being obsessed with pop bands and all the posters that I had in my bedroom. And it was such a fun time of, I think a lot of teenagers go through that. It's such a fun time of your life. And the, I really feel sad for teenagers that didn't have that experience because for me, I loved it. It was so formative. And yeah, you get to an age where you cringe when you think about it, but you shouldn't have to cringe because it's part of um, who you were, who you are. And um, yeah, and it was fun. Why can't yeah. we have fun? <laughs> and it does feel like there's more of an emphasis on, like, women having to grow out of it yes. than men having to grow right. out of it, mostly because the majority of men, I'm not, this is majority only, I know this is not every not man's all, experience, yes. but, like, probably the most common ex 
experience of that feeling for young boys is that they're encouraged to love sport and be obsessed with sport. And they're allowed to do that until the day they die. <laughs> and they never get any, like, they never cop any, no one ever tells them they're being immature when they're yelling at the TV screen because their sport is playing. Um, that's yeah. it. It's just a, it's a very gender normative example and it's not true of everyone. And I know that a lot of people, regardless of gender, cop a, a lot of heat for liking things like Star Wars and stuff as they get older. It just seems a shame. Like, if you love something, you should be able to love it your whole life without judgment. <laughs> I really so, didn't think my takeaway from this podcast would be the difference between body snatching and grave robbing and <laughs> to be ashamed of how much I love Harry Styles. But I'm not mad about it. Oh, my God, Harry Styles on this but Yeah, she talks about Harry Styles in this. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, he made the best speech ever, didn't he? Can you quote it, Amy? What was the thing that he said? It was... Basically, like, he appreciates his young female fans because they're, like... They're the ones that... They're the tastemakers. (laughs) They really are. They are. It's true. (laughs) It's it's so true. Oh, I love that we've got... We've covered so much ground in this episode. We've gone from, like body snatching to crime all the way to Benedict Cumberbatch and I love it. We segued. We segued a lot. I didn't even talk about a main book that I, I'll save it for next time. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Stefania and everyone. These, these books have been outstanding. This has been an excellent episode um, of, of book recommendations and to all of our listeners. Um, you can find links to every single book that we've mentioned here uh, in the description, um, or you can head to this this website, this really cool website that I highly recommend. It's called booktopia.com.au. There's a, a you know some books there, just a couple, several million that you can uh, go and uh, check out for yourself. It's a good website. Please go buy your books there. Uh, keep this podcast running. I need the money. I need a job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah thank you so much for for, for for tuning in you can join us next week uh as we drop our second episode of our brand of our kind of small mini series that we're doing uh, geology series uh, that we're doing with uh with ben hunter date with a debut uh where he, where ben sits down with debut authors from across australia's literary landscape we'll be con- concluding uh this duology series next week uh with, with interviews with megan albany victoria brookman and kimberly Allsop. you can check out that first episode that we did earlier this week which features danuka mckenzie and mary rose Caskelly, um which is out now you can check it out uh, in the links below As always, thank you for listening and never stop reading.